Welcome to More to Come, PW Comic World's weekly podcast on comics and graphic novel publishing. I'm Calvin Reed, Senior News Editor at Publishers Weekly and co-editor of PW Comics World. Check us out online at publishersweekly.com slash comics. So um, I'm very pleased to uh, uh, to welcome to More to Come tonight, Joyce Brabner. Um, uh, I've known her for many years, a uh, political activist, social activist, uh, comics creator, longtime comics creator, uh, uh, as well as the uh, 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 partner and collaborator of, of the late and great uh, Harvey Picar. Uh, Joyce, uh, welcome to More to Come. Hi, Calvin. I'm glad to be here, or wherever I am. I'm actually, <laughs> yes. well, I'm well, actually sitting here in my pajamas plugged into my phone. Sounds cozy. Sounds cozy. Well, you're in Cleveland. Uh, I'm on the lower east side of New York, and uh, I'm sitting here at the table. I've got uh, I've got the, the book, The Reason Why We're Talking um, uh, This Evening, a Second Avenue Caper, When Goodfellas, Divas, and Dealers Plotted Against the Plague um, by Joyce Brabner, uh, with drawings by Mark Zingarelli. Um, it's a beautiful hardcover book, um, uh, uh, wonderfully done. Most importantly, it's uh, a wonderful nonfiction account of a really particular and devastating time in New York in the 1980s uh, as the uh, the AIDS crisis first hit. But it also tells a, a, um, a tale, and it is a bit of a caper, of the gay community of the time coming together uh, to take care of its own. Is that a good uh, short-term description of it? That's great. Okay, <laughs> now start, write, start writing my jacket blurb and we we'll <laughs> Okay, but look, we're going to talk about that. But before we do, I, you know, I, I've known you since the 1980s. Uh, you know, I'd love to just go and make sure. I mean, many people know you today, of course, from the movie, from American Splendor, the incredible film uh, that was made of, of your and Harvey's comic. Um, uh, but uh, but you're a longtime comics creator, and I just want to make sure um, that we talk just a little bit, very quickly, about some of the really. I mean, these are some older product projects. Uh, I first met mm-hmm. you working um, when we you were uh, doing a story about activists, which um, you probably met me earlier. You probably uh-huh. met me through American Splendor. I mean, my yeah, first, no doubt. Yeah, the first comic book story that I ever did um, that was published. Well, other than there's stuff that nobody go looking for them. I published under another name um, because I drew them, and I'm not really an illustrator. I'm, mm-hmm. a, I'm a writer, but um, that's like my my private little thing. But the first uh, story that I did, I, I guess, was a, a, a story with Harvey called A Marriage Album, where we told the story of how we met yeah. um, and decided to get married the next day. And actually, our second our second date, we picked out rings for the third date. Um, I've heard about this. In, yes. <laughs> in, yeah, we got married in the mayor's office in uh, the city of Wilmington, where I lived and worked. So I did that, and then um, I did a story for Tips and Clips about ah, my uh-huh. first com- experiences as a community organizer, I guess you could call it, when I was about 10 and totally fascinated by what the adults were talking about at the movie movie theaters down the street, um, Russ Meyer movies. Mm-hmm. And I organized all the little girls that we played dress-up with, and we created a uh, striptease show. <laughs> and, uh, Sounds cool. Yes, we did. Yes, we did. We, we were fascinated. It was a kind of a combination of all our girly fantasies about... Um, you know, like the stripper. We thought, we, we didn't know what strippers really were. We figured they were women who danced with balloons on them and the guys popped them or yeah. they were upstairs with Miss T 
kitty. Good, clean fun. Um, and so we, and I was, and, you know, I would later go on and make costumes for, for a shop that serves people like John Waters did, uh-huh. you know, did some stuff with him. I actually became a professional costumer. But there we were, you know, selling on dollar bills because we'd seen, um, you know, on somebody's clothing because we'd seen women with dimes on them from Busby Berkeley movies. Uh, and it was, sure. It was, it was, it was lots of fun. We, you know, we cleaned out all the little boys' allowances and stuff <laughs> like that, and then we got rid <laughs> That happened and, so often. And Tiss and Klitz was yeah. a real pioneering uh, kind of yes, feminist comics anthology, it, right? It, it, it was with Joyce Farmer, who I was delighted to meet again when she and I were in Toronto um, at the Comics as Medicine Conference. She was talking about Special Exits, which is a terrific book that oh, she's yes. done mm-hmm. about saying, goodbye, saying goodbye to sure. her parents um, as they age and you know they get you know have all of the different problems that that comes with that. And I'm going to be reunited with Joyce. At the Miami Book Fair um, later this month, we're going to be on a panel together. Oh, great. So that's great. Sitting on a panel with somebody I like and respect instead of somebody I really don't know working for a downtown, you know, mega corporation. Yeah. It'll, be, it'll be really good to be to be with her. You know, um, she has absolutely no opinion, as I do, as to the size of Power Girl's breasts. So it'll be... <laughs> Okay, okay. Well, yeah, so I, I've got be, some things on my list here. Like, so that's, yeah, so go that's, on, go on. That's kind of where I started. And mm-hmm. then, you know, then Real War Stories. Real War Stories, was, yeah. That was going to be my yeah, next question, yeah. Yeah, well, what did you want to ask me about? Oh, no, just, you know, I, no, actually, I'd love for you to go through this and just, you know, maybe just describe to the more to come audience who who may not well, know about these books, you know, what they were. Well, okay. Somebody came in and asked Harvey advice on how to put uh, information in the hands of young people using comics about um, the new volunteer army because uh, this is when they were really aggressively pushing uh, the military. Which, yeah. It was kind of supposed to be like Top Gun. You know, you'd go in right. and play video games and stuff like that. And they had, you know, and the U.S. Department of Defense has even a bigger budget than Coca-Cola Bottling Company, yeah. which is the biggest corporation in the world. And, I looked at it, and I knew Harvey was going to do it all wrong. It was going to be black and white. It was mm-hmm. text-heavy pages. It was going to be earnest and serious, and you can't Yeah, and this is aimed at teenagers, yeah. Yeah, you can't reach young people with, you know, the poor and dirty, you know, especially if they're economically anxious. So yeah. I got really terrific top-drawer comics creators. I said, how'd you like to deal with real heroes? So but that's how I met Alan Moore, Bill Kevich, Tom Yates, Paul McReady, yeah, uh, Brian Boland, mm-hmm. all these, Mike Barr, and we collected all these stories, and uh, the, it must have done a really good job, because the Department of Defense decided that book was a... Right, you had to go to court, security. didn't you? Yes, we did. Yeah. Uh, it was taken to court, and it went to Georgia Federal Court. A group was passing it out on uh, career day, and the Department of Defense said there's no such thing as a career in peace where the army will guarantee you a career in the military. Yes, yes. guaranteed and the then, career and in killing the people. They, <laughs> yeah, well, well, I mean, I, you've got to remember now, I, the second issue of Real War Stories that I did was completely on the side of service members. I mm-hmm. have no beef with people who enlist sure. and, because they believe that they genuinely believe they're protecting and serving. It's mm-hmm. the stuff we ask them to do. In this case, illegal warfare, putting people in mm-hmm. equipment that was, you know, designed because it was $80 to 
you know, repair to the equipment wasn't worth it because you could just get an endless supply of Indiana farm boys, you mm-hmm. know, and so why put a rollover bar in a Jeep and you can just crush somebody's skull and, you know, I mean, we, we're more aware of that now with things like last long and, and service members in Iraq having to write home and ask your family for their own armor. But anyway, mm-hmm. yeah. the Department of Defense said we fabricated our stories. And at issue specifically was we wrote a, a pre-tale hook. I'm really aging myself now. Um, it's a story about really brutal hazing of new recruits that yeah. was occurring, in this case, on naval vessels. Um, and we were very honest about what we told, very clear. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, later, I would hear from a therapist who had a kid in his office who cried because he'd been a victim of one of these hazings and he had been able to explain, you know, being sodomized by your fellow members with a grease gun, you know, and then hung upside down, you know, with your genitals painted with printer's ink. They called it greasing and inking. And basically made it up, but our lawyer was able to produce military and naval court martial records of a husband Mm -hmm. and wife, both serving on the same vessel. One was a fireman apprentice first class. The other was a seaman apprentice first class. They had been found, well, they were charged with going AWOL because the wife was scheduled to undergo a shipboard initiation ritual, greasing and inking, exactly what we wrote about. And this was in their own own stuff. So Mm -hmm. they backpedaled like crazy. They said, oh, well, you know, that's the Navy. We don't know what the Navy does. And rather than give us a complete win, they withdrew their complaint. But that's when I knew that I had something that I wanted to keep working with because um, I guess their argument was that if you were intelligent enough to read a comic book that I wrote and figure out that there might be another way to get, you know, to serve your community or Mm -hmm. or country or to get your college money, then only dumb people would be left in the military. (laughs) I don't know. I was deluding deluding the intellectual... You know, I don't know what it was, but, you know, I still hear from you. I I heard from somebody today on Facebook, because I'm out there on Facebook. I heard from somebody today who was thanking me for getting that book in his hand when he was making a decision when he was a kid. That's great. And this is about 1987, right? Yes, this was, we were talking about a lot of, a lot of, you know, covered ops, Nicaragua, Mm -hmm. this was in the 80s. Uh, This was, um, and, you know, that led to doing... Uh, brought to light, yes. which was another take on the Iran uh, Contra affair and the whole, you know, drugs being smuggled into um, the United States on air channels. The mm-hmm. Private citizens encouraged by Reagan would send, you know, weapons down to help, you know, the the you know the the you know um, got to remember the names of everybody's angry at everybody else. I'm tired here in Cleveland. They're sending. <laughs> You know, sending weapons down to destabilize a legally elected right. government in another country. And then the, it happened that there's a lot of marijuana and cocaine being, you know, grown down yes. there. So people, you know, flew that stuff back. Um, and then I, I took on a case involving a husband and wife who were at a pest press conference um, where there was a bombing. And the press conference, the whole bombing... You know, shed a whole different light. This is mm-hmm. why we're talking about brought to light on, you know, illegal warfare, covert ops, CIA activities yes. 
in you know in Nicaragua and central you know in Central America mm-hmm. in um, Costa Rica and that was about thirty years ago yeah. but it let me work with with Alan yeah. and that was shadow play was because part of the book was shadow play right did, which was a real history did, well what happened what happened is I watched how the story was being told and there's and there are, we've since learned a lot of different things about what happened if I re-release this book and there's a question about releasing it it's going to be with a real broad explanation about what we knew then and what we mm-hmm. did not know because we were misled in a lot of ways mm-hmm. by some opportunistic people who took the, took the story and ran with it we were fed you know me especially a lot of bad information Alan's side of the story actually has been vetted by, I guess you call them CIA spooks, and yeah. they say like 90% of this stuff is pretty solid. I took what I knew now, but like in the case of the bombing, I did not know, nor did any of the victim know at the time, that one of the so-called victims uh, actually knew who the bomber was, but was mm-hmm. keeping that to himself. Mm-hmm. And but you're planning so, to bring this back into print, right? I'm thinking about it. Alan to. wants to. Be, Alan, mm-hmm. Well, I'm thinking about it. It has to. If it goes back, it only goes back with an update on my information. That's kind of what I mean. And there's, you know, there's some back and forth about, okay. you know, Al, you know, Al, does Alan really want to release a book that you know Bill Sienkiewicz did after they had such such a big falling out? You mm-hmm. know, and that's. You know that, but it's, it's another it's story. Mine, yeah. It's, yeah, yeah, it's, it's another story. It's mine to do, and I will re, will re-release it like that. And you know, the other thing is, Ellen did a phenomenal performance of his side of the book, which had coaxed up American Eagle to sit in a Beltway mm-hmm. bar and rants about all the atrocities he's done, and he keeps track of them by figuring out how many swimming pools of blood that people fill up. And My well, God. this is this makes sense to me because I was involved with like. This Cambodian documentation project, the genocide, pro- genocide project, where you have to go and figure out how many cubic feet of skulls account, oh you know, God. found uh, you know, somewhere uh, oh. you know, account for all of these people victimized by the Khmer Rouge. So oh. yeah, we were talking about oh. atrocities. You know. We're going to jump ahead here because I want sure, to, I want to sure. cover well, up some we, more books well, so we can get to Second Avenue. Well, but now, well, uh, in particular, well, our cancer year. Sure, Am I leaping too far? I, Am I leaping too far ahead? No, no, because see, I was doing I was doing comics about you know tough social issues mm-hmm. um, like that. A book called Activist, some other stuff that we could we kind of skip over. But then Harvey got really sick, and at the time I was in the Middle East uh, trying to help some kids who'd been sort of suckered in by it. I, you know, I get it from the right, I get it from the left. This mm-hmm. is a left-wing organization that was using kids uh, as storytellers without a lot of concern yeah. about their emotional welfare, their political safety, or anything like that. And I realized that these kids wound up to do stuff that was in some ways dangerous to them. I went over there to talk to them and their parents, and it happens that when I was in the air, Saddam took Kuwait, and that put a whole other spin on what was going yeah. on. So I mm-hmm. left when the Americans were being evacuated, came home and found my husband had a tumor. And, you know, he had cancer. We were moving into a new house. It was Cleveland. It was snowing. It was terrible. My friends were mm-hmm. afraid for their lives. And yet we all held together. And in the end, everybody that I could brought to, together and helped me with the last of Harvey's illness. And we wrote this, this bang-up book, which unfortunately couldn't be squeezed into the movie. So they kind of fiddled with a couple of sack things in the movie. 
American Splendor. But mm-hmm. our cancer year, I pretty much wrote that book because Harvey yeah. was really, he didn't really remember much of anything. He was really sick. I mean, you can sort of tell if you read it who's writing, who's not. Well, it's, it's a, it's a harrowing story. And I, I do remember it, obviously, at the, from no. the time. Yeah. You know, harrowing, I don't know about that. No. We alluded to the people that mm-hmm. I would later write about in Second Avenue Caper. Mm-hmm. And we felt that in Harvey's case, and, and cancer is horrible. I'm, I'm doing kind of like compassionate counseling for a, the wife of somebody who's, who's on his last legs right now with mm-hmm. leukemia, and it's pretty, it's pretty rough. But we knew in Harvey's case that cancer was not the worst thing that could happen to somebody anymore. Just because you say cancer, you don't immediately mm-hmm. say harrowing even though it was, the treatment he had was brutal. And yes, yes. I've seen these, these kids who'd yeah. been, you know, who'd been tortured by the Khmer Rouge, who mm-hmm. were afraid of, yeah. and then my friends who had were dealing with AIDS, which really didn't, at that time, there was no hope for them. It's different mm-hmm. now. People live with AIDS. But, um, you know, so... I wrote that with Harvey, and that kind of got mm. him back on his feet. And I think uh, Frank Stack was the artist, I believe. Frank Stack did, did the artwork, mm-hmm. and uh, Harvey would continue to do different American Splendor books. Mm-hmm. Um, and it looked like I was going to be doing more writing, but then along came Miss Danielle. Yes, of course. I, yes, your yeah. daughter. Yes, absolutely. Well, yeah, she just sort of... Um, we. We're still fogging over the circumstances under which she came to live with me. It's funny. We we changed that in the movie because I didn't want her yeah, her story to be told too early or with without any protection for her when she was a kid. I wanted her to be able to tell her own story. Thing is is that after this movie was shot, she's little Danielle is standing up at a press conference, you know, with two thousand people at Sundance's allegor and the they're looking up at her, and she says, well, you know, you know, you know, they made it look all nice about how I came to live with Joyce and Harvey, but actually, <laughs> actually, actually, the real story is that my father, you know, and then she, she told what, 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 some of okay. why this little kid at, kid at age nine came up to me, a total stranger, and said, hey, we got to talk, I need you to be my substitute mother, and, wow. uh, the next time I saw her, she was on my doorstep with doll clothes in one bag and her clothes in the other, convinced she was going to move in. So she wow. did. And this is what, yeah. about 1995 or what, what, what year? Oh, God. Am I wrong? You're going to ask me. Look, if you don't know, I don't okay, know. Okay, well, we, 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 we'll move on little. from that. I understand. She was out. She was little. And she, I hit the ground running with a kid who needed yeah. you know, a lot of care and a lot of attention. And Harvey also had another round of cancer, yeah. and he would have had a third one when he died. We were going to begin treatment the third, oh, wow. third time, so he he managed. You know, he didn't have to go through that again. But that was, you know, that was starting up. Um, well, Joyce, and go on. So no. there, yeah. So that one. So this is, you know. So I've been doing other things that are every bit as important to me mm-hmm. as writing. You know, as Dean Haskell said, you know, the other day, he says, yeah, you don't have to write comics, you have a life. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, well, I mean, well, we've all been fortunate that comics uh, have been a very big part of your life also. But maybe this is just a point for us to segue into sure. 
Second Avenue caper, caper, which you know, obviously, in many ways, is another, uh, is really a, another tale of, of a commu- of, of really of of you involving yourself in care. Uh, and a community that was really under siege. And, and, and maybe you can, right. I'll let you take it from here. And really, can you set the scene for uh, where uh, Second Avenue Caper uh, begins? Well, where I began working on Second Avenue Caper, and I did try, I, I know that I'm, I appear as a character in it, yes. both in, you know, looking back as I interview my friend Ray, but also, um, you know, in my younger years. But it really isn't my story at all. It's, story that I heard, and it's a story of extraordinary courage that I was really afraid was never going to be told. As it happens, my friend Raymond is now quite ill, and uh, he... Oh, really? Hmm. um, Yeah, and he had this story, and even I didn't know every part of it. I knew Mm -hmm. some of the things that were going on it, and I wanted to get it all down, and you actually were there um, when, because I visited you, you know, mm-hmm. I, you know, and in around 2006, I guess, when I was interviewing him and tape recording him, um, my friend Ray left Cleveland to go to work uh, in New York. Mostly, he left Cleveland because mm-hmm. he was gay, mm-hmm. and uh, he wasn't going to grow up to be a priest. I mean, his yes, mom yes. always knew he was different, but yeah. he wasn't interrupted to a priest. So I went, and uh, he was living with his lover, who was a jazz musician. And we've had to change a lot of names and okay. other identifying things like that. So don't try and figure out who he okay. is. In the book, he's called Ben, he right? Mm. Yeah, we call him Ben. Mm-hmm. We had to remember to call him Ben when I give interviews. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and uh, he went, he went, you know, he went to be to be a writer, to be a playwright, he wrote really hysterically funny, you know, drag queen reviews, like people like, you know, Betty Bourne and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, he, uh, but he was also working in a hospital in the early 80s. And there was a doctor there. And this part was, this is the great part about changing names, because I got to name this doctor <laughs> after a boss who I Hated. Yes, well, this guy's so an SOB, a, obviously. <laughs> oh, he was a son of a bitch. This doctor was such a rotten doctor, had no social graces. He would mm-hmm. knock people over. He would, you know, he complained to the patients if they were complaining to him. He paid other doctors to take his shift. And the thing is, he all he didn't care about people. He just got into it. He got his diploma, you know, some, you know... You know, yeah, some medical diploma you know, factory, right? Yeah. Stuff. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. And where he really spent all the time, you know, getting stoned and making all the connection that he had to do what he really wanted to do, which is he wanted to be a drug lord. He wanted to be a drug king and, and make more money yeah. than his dad. So by the time this, this, this creepy sleazeball, who I call Dr. Gritz, um, you know, was met Ray, he started bugging him. He wanted Ray to deal pot. Mm-hmm. He said, well, I don't have any friends, you know, and you've got a lot of friends. And, you know, Ray didn't want to really do this because he thought he could lose his license. But sure. he talked it over with his boyfriend. They figured, look, you know, this might give him a little more money or some breathing room so that, you know, Ben wouldn't have to pay yeah. wedding gigs. Yeah, the the enduring problem of artists in New York trying to make a living and and create art, sure. Exactly, exactly. And, you know, they weren't giving out, you know, know, grants for people who did that kind of stuff. 
So they had this little side business, you know, just sell to their friends, and it was and it was fairly comfortable, um, and that was kind of in place, and that means absolutely nothing until you get to this part in the story where Ray spots a patient who's critically ill, and it turns out that he is patient number 24, uh-huh. one of the earliest known people diagnosed with, at that time, GRID. They didn't right. even know what this thing right. was. You know? And he represented himself yeah. as a married heterosexual, and of course yeah. he wasn't. And, and Ray, who doesn't like problems that, you know, can't be solved, kind of looked at this and there's something really wrong. And mm-hmm. he had researched, in, you know, I mean, Red's, Red's a smart guy. He, he's always researching, and he had researched this you know, gut, weird, amoebic thing that almost, you know, crippled Ben when Ben mm-hmm. took up on one of his world tours. And so he started looking this up, at, you know, things with names like journals of mortality and morbidity report and stuff like that. Sure. And he brought all of this stuff back to what we call the kitchen table, which is where we all hang out, you know, maybe mm-hmm. smoke some weed and definitely everybody would, you know, trade gossip and talk mm-hmm. about this is mostly a crowd of fringe actors, artists, musicians. Yes, yeah, I, I would want you to, to describe the community because this was like, this was a, a really a rich community of downtown these, gay well, these were, these were uh, our actors, friends. artists, yeah. drag queens, uh, musicians. Yeah, they're all, they're all, you know, they were, they were, they were my folks. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. and and you know, you're and your friends too. Yeah. and 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 uh, they brought this to the table. And there was one guy there who was particularly erudite, and he said, "Look, he said, this is as bad as we think it is. Half of us might be dead in the next five years." Mm-hmm. And bam, the epidemic hit. Yeah. Nobody knew what was causing sure. it, and you know, and. The nice thing about when you do comics about stuff like this or cancer or something is you don't go hiring some actor who diets down and puts a little brown eyeshadow under their eyes to look ill. You can really show the devastation, the wasting. Like in our cancer year, Frank was able to show what shingles looked like and felt like all over Harvey's body and what, um, you know, and what happened. So the money from the pot deals began to go to immediate urgent care. And the rules were real simple. If you were ill, you got your stuff for free. It helped with the nausea, the pain, yeah. the anxiety, mm-hmm. the fear. But if you wanted to party, you paid extra. Mm-hmm. Okay? And pretty soon, they're looking, my friends, you know, because they got roots in the medical community, are trying to find out, as is sort of described, but at a later time, in a much different way in Dallas Buyer's Guide, they're trying to find out what are the most promising drugs for treatment? How do you save people's lives? Because people are dying in a matter of months. Yeah. And there's like nothing, mm-hmm. there's nothing to do. And um, gay men were not a priority when this was going on. It wasn't until pretty little girls like Molly Ringwald in some made-for-TV movie started getting AIDS that people realized it was going to cross over to other folks. Yeah, absolutely. And right now, it was it, it, happening, you know. The, the climate for the, the, the gay community and for AIDS sufferers at the time, I mean, we're talking about in the mid-80s here, it was just oh, yeah, awful. It was, it was, there was, yeah, it was v- vicious bigotry. People, people couldn't get people, treatment. Uh, no, there was they, hysterical they, fear. They, they, they threw, they, they, in, the, in the book we talk about how the, this one guy was just 
thrown, a cab came along and threw him out on the street, and nobody wanted to come in and bring yeah. him into the ER. And, you know, and the nurses and the doctors, it's just like Ebola, they were, you know, the, the, the people who were cleaning the messes and bathing people and getting yes. rid of the waste, they were taking incredible risks. Because nobody knew what was going on. Of course, it turned out not to be as communicable as Ebola probably is. I'm not that informed about Ebola, but, you know, I'm recognizing... Well, it's interesting that you bring things. that up, because there actually yeah, has he, been... Hysteria and, and scape theory there, and all that stuff. There has been quite a bit of discussion, actually, of, uh, I think, some AIDS activists um, mm-hmm. in support of... AIDS Ebola sufferers because the treatment has been very, very much the same, sure. driven by ignorance and fear. So um, because with, Ebola is very AIDS, difficult to people catch. In the AIDS, yeah, people with AIDS, people in the AIDS community mm-hmm. have a lot to give. Yes, and it's it's and it was rough, hard, painfully won knowledge, but they have a lot to give. And I mean, you know, this book is about friends helping each yes. other and breaking the rules in order to do it. And I started it at a time when we weren't talking about Ebola, although I was kind of aware I'd read the hot mm-hmm. down of what could break. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was aware of all these fringe punk kids, who, you know, like they're doing their dumpster diving with mm-hmm. their immune system compromised and they're living in punk houses. And they're all trying to take care of each other and work things out and they're trying to work out issues about gender and, you know, because we define gender a little bit differently than mm-hmm. we were doing at that time, the continuum is more fluid. We'll now open when we talk about trans men and trans sure. women. And um, what was going on was, you know, I I looked around. I thought, well, I'm going to have to show these kids, you know, what we had to do um, and what people have always had to do, whether it's AIDS or whether there mm. were things like, um, you know, getting contraception and legal and safe abortion. I mean, I'm from a generation where um, they'd call the cops if you went in to buy condoms yeah. you know, mm-hmm. at, at my school. And, you know, these are just, every, I guess every generation gets hit with something, and maybe it's going to be Ebola. I'm mm-hmm. sorry if that's the way it turns mm-hmm. out. But back to, back to what was happening, you know, my friends were rapidly trying to take care of their other friends. Like people were dying so fast, you didn't even know they were sick, and there was mm-hmm. nowhere to bury them. And the the pot money was going, you know, for this and burials, and it's spiraling out of control. And then Raymond heard about a particular drug that was not available in the United States. You could get it in Mexico. And he went down, and he did the kind of run that, you know, a lot of people who are... This is where I I want to break in, because I do think that we ought to address just a little bit uh, Dallas Buyers Mm -hmm. Club. I mean, your book really talks about Uh the gay community coming together and basically coming up with a caper to go down to Mexico and bring these uh, these drugs that were, you know, um, my uh, friends, my friends did a favor for the mafia. Mm -hmm. Yes. yes. There's some great sections in the book. And and they began and, and in using their theater skills. And disguises, they began smuggling in the drugs that they thought were the most likely to save people's lives. In a souped-up um, RV. Forth, you know, and that's, yeah, and, and you know, I always wanted to do one of these gang of misfits, 18, you yes, know, it is. get somebody get a <laughs> Which you paper. reference in the book. <laughs> and, yeah, and then, I, you know, and then I found out, yeah, I was sort of, I was sort of there. So they did this, and that's the caper part of this. But, but this is nonfiction. Um, this is what happened. Now you've changed well, some names. Is, it's, yeah, we, this isn't the same as Dallas Buyers Guide, where they 
you know, had to invent so many things. I mean, I could get that. It keeps getting asked about this because, and it's a shame because that's the only thing people know now, today. uh, Maybe they'll know a little more about the idea that folks had to, and they will continue to have to, have great trouble getting the drugs that they think may save their lives when they're critically ill or terminally ill. Um, and, you know, as nice as it was for them to create a movie that was a star vehicle for an attractive actor um, that features a heterosexual man, you know, facing his own mortality with AIDS, and oddly enough, adds in a very physically attractive, charming actress to be mm-hmm. a sort of a love interest. They had to phony up um, a homosexual companion for him, a, 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 a sad dying, you know, mm. trans person played by Jared Leto, who kind of, from interviews, sounds like he didn't really know what he was getting into. And no. I saw the movie just recently, mm-hmm. and I was so, I mean, it's nice that they put this out into, you know, public awareness, but if you're the kind of person that gets everything you know about history from Netflix or something, we're sort of in trouble. Yeah. I'm, for, I'm, apologies to Netflix because they do great documentaries. <laughs> but 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 you've but created an antidote to that. There's, there's some place well, now they can go and get a, the authentic story. Mm-hmm. Well, well, it's my point of view. There are going to be a million people coming up saying that didn't happen, and in the end, you know, my friends find out that so many of the drugs that they tried to bring yeah. in weren't really helping. You know, and there are going to people say, well, that's what you get for practicing my medicine without a license. You're trying to treat yourself. The point is that there's a bunch of screw-ups and, mm-hmm. you know, and people were cast cast out and cast off by society were pulled together into yes. amazing care of each other. And, you know, it, it pretty much broke my friend's heart. Yeah, it, it, it certainly it contributed to the bust up of his relationship with his with his boyfriend and and everything else. You know, which is what happens with with those of us who do really yeah. what Joanne Macy calls despair work. But what you will find in this book, I think, will be friends and family and keep in the heart what it takes. To pull things together, and people complained in our cancer year, it, rather rather in the movie American mm-hmm. Splendor, that you didn't really have any sense of what I did as an activist. I'm just sort of there, and I get into a cab and I go somewhere and I come back. Leonard Rafis, who's you know uh, does you know a lot of educational uh, comics about social issues, was really disturbed about that, and he thought I should be disturbed too. And I said, well, you know. This is a movie. It's not something I, I did, mm-hmm. but I did get a chance to show what it is that being engaged in a community that you love, the people you know, to give mutual support and help. What it looks like, mm-hmm. and that heart is what I think was missing from this ultimately very sad, empty movie that you know everybody knows about um and uh well the book is really um i mean it really gives voice to just what you're saying uh that you know a you know forgotten marginalized group that took it upon themselves to make sure that they were taken care of even if in the end um 
their what they were doing wasn't as helpful as they thought. I mean, the sheer banding together of this uh, and your documenting yeah. of it is really um, really moving. Um, and, and the characters and the people that you introduce. I mean, I, I one of the things I'd love to uh, to ask you about, uh, to whatever extent you can, is to, to, can you bring us up to date on just? I, I'm curious about some of the characters. Um, I mean, obviously, um, uh, some of the characters obviously died very. Um, yes. Yeah. But um um but but actually I guess you did because I was obviously I was very curious about Ray uh and Ben. Well, Ray's Ray's quite ill. And you say and he's ill now. Ray is not available and Ray is not available mm-hmm. for interviews nor does he want to be. Sure. I mean, I gave him you know, I gave him um you know, money you know, from the I mean, the book is helping him financially, mm-hmm. but it really is kind of what he you know what he we, we look. We didn't we didn't know if he was going to be alive when the book came out yeah, or yeah. not. And he is he is alive. And later on, you know, today I'm going to talk, talk to him again tonight. Great. But he's, well, he's such he's, a he's vivid my character. Hero. Yeah, but, I mean, he's, but he, he's but he's such a he's just you know he you know and it's his story. It's not mm-hmm. mine. I just yeah. my job is to just amplify these voices that I find. Who the hell wants to hear about me? I mean. You know, my parents and my sisters and brothers don't want to hear about me when it's Thanksgiving dinner, and they say, "What do you do?" It's like, "Man, we we don't need to hear her about me." <laughs> well, you're you're a very light presence in this book, but you're a facilitator, yeah. and and you right. you help them tell their stories. And I'm in these books. I'm in all these books I do for one reason only, so I can point to the book and say, "It's true. I'm this character in the book. I was there. I saw it." Yeah. Um, well, yeah. It, it it really is extraordinary. Because I have people, you know. And I mean, it's I also people. there's also you know quite a bit of, of humor in this book. I mean, it's a it's a, sure. a serious story about you know a, a serious time. But uh, as the as the um, subtitle says, there are very unlikely characters who come to the support of this community, sure. like the mafia, for instance. <laughs> Well, we don't call them that. We call them good fellas. We call them good fellas, and that's <laughs> that's a better way to call them. We, we are going to keep a little quiet about that. Okay. Because, um, you know, I, you know, but, I mean, we also talk <laughs> about the other people who, you know, came in and what it did take was a larger social movement and medically to Ray's deal mother. with this stuff. Ray's yeah, mother, for exactly. instance. Um, yeah, well, Ray's mother did a complete turnaround. She's mm-hmm. this very proper Irish Catholic lady from... You know, 25th and Lorraine, and at one point she goes to her church and, you know, she berates them for closing the doors to these young people who are trying to bury their friends. And uh, she tells them that they're all, that these are the true Christians, including Benny, who's Jewish. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, <laughs> Benny, Ray's roommate. You know. But she gets into it. She gets into it. She goes, she goes on drug runs and she chops her swag off with her rosary and you know, she looks like she's praying and she's going through it, but she's actually mumbling the lyrics to YMCA, how and why she, <laughs> you know, knows these songs, who knows, but, you know. Um, but that we couldn't tell this stuff without humor because I, you know, I say I say to Ray, there's a point where we're trying to figure out how to end this. And I go, how do we end a book like this? How do we even write a book like mm-hmm. this? It's about, and I say, you know, we live with the people that we've lost every mm-hmm. day. That's my experience, having lost my husband. I, yeah. You know, I hear from him, I talk to him every single day. Um, and I'm just really glad that he got to uh, to read the book, you know, before, 
you know, he died because, uh, you know, I put his blessing on it. But, um, you know, I can't do this stuff unless I use my sense yeah. of humor. I'm too old. I'm too, you know, battle-scarred. And uh, that's what we, all these different groups of people have talked about, whether they're combat vets, whether mm. they're rape or torture survivors mm. or people with cancer, you know, people with AIDS. We have, like, it's there's a point when among ourselves we use a certain kind of dark, some people say gallows humor, you know, to get mm-hmm. through some of this stuff. Sure. And that's that's part of it. You and I have laughed about some pretty rough things, yeah, well, you know, yeah. giving each other those eyes, that look of recognition when, <laughs> you know, and that's kind of what I'm hoping will happen in this book. People will look and they'll recognize their own friends. And they'll well, recognize what's happening with Ebola, maybe. Well, it's uh, it's incredibly timely work, a testament. I mean, I think people are looking back to the, that time, looking back to the 80s now and, and trying to make sense of it and trying to trying to connect it with uh, with today. So, uh, um, it, it's this is just truly a, a, the book came along at, at just the right time. Um, I'm glad you think that, but can we please say something about the man who illustrated it for oh, me? Oh, absolutely, Mark yeah, Cinderella? yeah, because yeah. I, yeah, because uh, I mean, it's, okay, let's 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 not leave him out. There's of some the wonderful. Because... I mean, that's I mean, obviously, what we're talking about is is a is a, is a comic here, and um, his work at evoking these characters, setting the scenes bringing the story forth uh and you know i think even in the early stages of the book you saw you 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 gave me some mm-hmm. um images there's a v- at the very end of the book there's just a really wonderful uh portrait of, of ray looking out and kind of bringing us up to date on the story that you right. know it, it comes at such a powerful moment and, and you know yeah. even now as i look at it because i'm looking at now i mean i saw it uh, yeah. years ago now i'm looking at it in the hardcover edition and it's just a beautiful you know riveting engaging let me, let me tell you what i looked for when i went looking for an artist for this i looked mm-hmm. for somebody who First of all, it was going to be easy to, for me to work with because I was pretty grief-stricken with Harvey's death, and I had a lot, a lot just hit me, mm-hmm. you know, again and again and again. I wasn't in great shape to begin with, and I had a lot coming down on my head. So I needed somebody who was kind and easy to work with. I needed somebody who was intelligent. I need somebody who was of the time, somebody who understood, you know, illness, and uh, somebody who'd want to go the distance, and somebody who understood that I wasn't, to be absolutely honest, just an appendage of Harvey, that actually, mm. you know, was a writer sure? um, who had just, you know, taken another direction in life during which time I did other things that were really important to me, you know, before going back mm-hmm. to writing. And Mark had never done a book-length piece of work, and he was really kind of intimidated about it. I had no problem seeing him being able to do it. I continue to have no problem seeing him be able to do it as he went through all kinds of agonies of insecurities and, and anxiety and he tried to do it this way and he tried to farm out some of the pages because it was so big to somebody else and he went back forth and, and then he disappeared on me. And I still believe he could <laughs> You do guys the book. worked through I it here. <laughs> still believe, I still believe he could do the book when I made a commando raid at night to his house knocked on the door, walked into the house, pulled him from the dinner table, brought him out back in the in the backyard and gave what his Mark's wife Kate would call the come to Jesus speech. <laughs> well I really ripped into him. And then 
all of a sudden it all came together for him. And he really, he draws the kind of people that we valued with that American Splendor sensibility, mm. ordinary, normal looking yeah. people with heart, soul, lumps. You know, we are not, a, you know, we're not from central casting like <laughs> The yeah. Yeah, like the movie is. You know, it, there's it's, no a man, it's a menagerie, but I, no I mean that in, in, in the best sense too. <laughs> yeah. We're just we're just we're just ordinary people, lumpy ordinary people. Hmm. And he he got it. And he was on yeah, you know, he and I were on the same wavelength. And I think he did a phenomenal job and he shows what he can do. Um and I'm really glad. Now, I just hope that he doesn't do what all these guys do, like Joseph Remnant did right after he did Harvey's Cleveland. Like, okay, now I want to do my own work. It's like, hey, you know, you don't just like, no, I want I want the good artists to stick around and keep working with yeah. me because I have other books to do. There you go. <laughs> yeah. That's uh, what I want to do with the rest of my life. I have I have other books. And, you know, they're going to be comics or what I call mm-hmm. profusely illustrated books, yeah. and they're going to be about tough social issues, and I'll be as honest as I can, and if you know, you always the are. rest of the yeah, the rest of it I'll just make up by canning vegetables for my garden. Yeah. <laughs> well, look, <laughs> we're 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 almost we're not out of time, but we're running down. I I want to just hear a little bit about just what you're talking about. Yeah, maybe you can mention a couple yeah. of things. What are you working on next? Um, if, okay. If, 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 well, I'm not asking I'm, that too soon after you've just well, finished another book. No, 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 no. I have okay. I have I have a commitment to do. Okay. After okay after Harvey died. Um, you know, all these celebrities and hotshots wanted to impose a statue of him in our town, and uh, I took that over and did it as a Kickstarter thing, yes, mostly, you, you know, mostly because I wanted Vox Populi. I figured if people weren't going to vote with nickels and dimes to do it, then I wasn't going to do it. I wasn't going to let somebody write a big check. And I auctioned off my friend Alan. Um, you helped me do this, actually. We let people pay to have a video conference with him, but it, it's, you know, go out and torrent it or get it off, it's, you know, free up there on YouTube. It was YouTube, a great go and uh, get event it. with Alan Moore, yeah. really, just yes. talking to the He's fans. wonderful. Yeah, really great. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, you, and you, you know, set him the questions, and he came out of the cave, and he did a, did a wonderful job. And afterwards, I said, hey, Alan, I really love talking to you, but I don't have the dough to afford even the long-distance phone bills right now. So, we have to do a book together. And, uh, you know, I went and I visited him and I said, we got to do a book together. He said, he's got all these things he's doing. He's got these, these big, he, he says it's not as big as they say it is, but it's a big damn book mm-hmm. that he's writing the big novel and sure. uh, it's movies and everything <laughs> like that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So he's got all this going and, you know, so he doesn't have time to do a book with me, right. but how about if we do 15 books together? We do a series and we start mm-hmm. coming up with this idea of, you know, working together. And this is, this is going to be nonfiction. And it's going to be, again, a chance for us to, to get a lot of people heard, get a lot of things out there. I mean, if Alan can create this silly entertainment icon that kids are going to, you know, appropriate for anonymous this and occupy that. And if I can do comics that are going to scare the Department of Defense, then, <laughs> you know, we, you know, we got to do something yeah. with, with that platform. We got to, hold the door open for as many people as possible. So I'm going to do that. And um, I've got two other books lined up, but you know what? That's going to be what I'm going to hold in my pocket. Okay. 
until next time when I get you to interview me again. Sounds good. <laughs> and and actually, this is this is a perfect point to sort of draw this to a close. We're running out of time. Uh, but this obviously, uh, working on a project with yep. Alan Moore to come, this sounds incredibly exciting. So I'll be bugging you again to get you on uh, on Skype or some or some or face to face. Who knows? Um, sure. To ask you about that. But I just want to return and just I want to I want to let the, the more to come audience know the book is called Second Avenue Caper Caper When Goodfellas mm-hmm. Divas and Dealers Plotted Against the Plague. It's by Joyce Brabner and Mark Zingarelli. Uh, it's published by um, uh, FSG uh, at Helen Wang imprint and the novel graphics imprint, which is a line of nonfiction comics published by um, uh, by Helen Wang. Um, and on that note, um, uh, Joyce, look, thank you so much for being on More to Come. Okay, thanks for having me, Calvin.